We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. You ready for training camp? Yeah, I'm ready for training camp. I'm ready to see all these guys and, you know, bump up a little bit. What did you do this summer to, to get a step ahead? Oh, um, basically my cardio. I wanted to run more. I wanted to push the ball more off the, off the rebound and just really shoot that three ball. Yeah, we saw that in the Seattle. I want to shoot that three ball. I need that. <laughs> Welcome. Wait, am I recording? <laughs> okay. uh, luckily, I edit. Yeah. See, I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how Leave you guys in. do it live, Dave. Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it in. It, we're uh, always off on the time. But can we please just leave all of this in and just have an entirely botched intro? <laughs> it is so funny. And Greg will say, all right, I'm going to count down to down to zero and and but i'm gonna stop counting at three and then you just do the last two seconds in your head tim and it's like five four three hello and welcome to the sun tim wouldn't wait two seconds like ah okay all right i'm gonna count down to zero you guys ready oh fuck all right 99 98 97 no i'm just kidding okay okay now i have to leave this in welcome to the timeline of phoenix suns podcast very excited to do this episode, uh, similar to what we did last year um, with Dave. Dave, you've already heard his voice, so now i got to introduce you, Dave. Dave King's with us, the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun, the best and really only Phoenix Suns blog that you need. Thank you so much for joining us, Dave. The Ooh. only one you need, exactly. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I feel pretty comfortable saying that, I think. And of course, my, my name is Mike, and then Sam's here too. Sam, how are you doing? Hi, I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First time um, doing a pod, I see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you who haven't turned this podcast off already, uh, thanks for sticking around. We have a lot to cover. We're going to cover 
what we call our sons superlatives. These are we did it last year with Dave. Um, we talked about most likely most likely to succeed stuff like that. We'll get to those in a minute. But we do have a few things that we want to talk about. High school yearbook stuff. Yeah, high school yearbook stuff, but sons related. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But before we cover that, there's a couple of things that we do want to cover with Dave, similar to what we did last year. Funny enough, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, our last year's episode in a second. But last year, when we recorded our episode, what we opened the episode with was a sighting of Jamal Crawford going up an escalator at Talking <laughs> Stick Resort <laughs> Arena. <laughs> this was before the old, there the was speculation. The, yeah, the old Yeti in the swamp. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of speculation as to what he was doing there. We had no idea at the time that he would essentially play every single game. But uh, before we get to that, there's a couple things that we want to talk about that has been in the ether, in the Sun's ether. The first thing is an article that, Dave, you wrote for Bright Side of the Sun that I think is uh, interesting because it finally sort of nailed down the new training staff for the Phoenix Suns. And it seems like it's a lot of... Uh, Young young guys, I guess, is the best way to, to say it. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, they There's only one guy on the staff, uh, David Crew, who was the head athletic trainer for the Grizzlies a year ago. Um, and he's been in the NBA as on, on the sidelines, either in, in training or in player development or something along that line or video coordination, maybe. I don't know. But he has been in the NBA for about 10 years. Everyone else is in like in their first four years and NBA work and most of the most of the squad this will be their first year at the NBA level. What do you make of this, Dave? Yeah, what do I make of it? Well, I I I heard that cuz we all heard early in the off season after Aaron Nelson's uh team moved on to the Pelicans, we heard that they were going to make a they were told that the Suns were going to enter into a new and innovative partnership with Exos which provides thing, all the training uh, staff that, that you would need for a team and all the facilities and equipment and all that, and that the Suns were going a new and innovative way. They didn't say they wouldn't hire a training staff at some point. They just said this is a new and innovative way to do it. Turns out that only lasted the summer, and I'm not exactly sure if it's because the partnership and the costs and the, and the perks and all that stuff didn't work out or if the Suns decided they really wanted an internal staff. We don't know that for sure, but now all of a sudden we've pivoted away from Exos and into a full-time staff just like we used to have, except all younger guys. So we've got a uh, – the staff is is headed by a guy named Brady Howe. He has been less than two years at the NBA level. He uh, previously worked in the Hawks organization for a year and or a year plus, and then um, prior to that was with the G League affiliate of the Jazz. And <clears throat> I found a little video where – they just made it last year when he worked for the Hawks saying he's less than a year removed from washing towels. And <laughs> so he's got encouraging he's made some progress. He's made some progress in his career. So this is a good sign. And, you know, sometimes managers are just born. They're not made. So maybe he's, he'll be a great manager. Um, then you've got the head athletic trainer, like I said, who uh, does have experience. He's been around the NBA level for a decade and been a head athletic trainer for a year. And then you've got Daniel Bove, who's in his second year with the Suns. <clears throat> He'll be, uh, he was last year and will be again, uh, director of performance. And he described that to Body by Jake. If anybody watched that video I found on YouTube, um, he described his, his work with these guys as helping them with both their explosiveness and their body control because they're so used to being explosive. Like you talked about doing uh, uh, practicing like split jumps and things like that with Mikel Bridges to keep him inside his frame, his body frame more uh, defensively so that he wasn't taking too long a strides defensively. I don't know how many people uh, re, uh, really watch closely uh, back in the SSOL days. I know some, some people remember those years <laughs> uh, and Leander Barbosa, very athletic, but his strides on defense were like miles wide. And so he would always get himself out of position. All you had to do was juke him. And suddenly he was 10 yards to the right of a guy. And because his, his, his steps were too wide. And I guess that's the way I took out of uh, Daniel Bove talking about working with Mikel Bridges is keeping within your body frame so that you can change your, you change your hips and, and follow a guy who's trying to juke you out. And, Bridges did really good on that this past year. Yeah, it's really interesting, and, and I'm I'm a little worried. Initially, when I read this, I was a little worried because two things I think. 
uh, one, I was worried when I thought they weren't going to have a training staff uh, because I just thought it's insane to not have people who are experienced with NBA players. And I was worried about the innovative partnership uh, was worrying of me. But the idea that they sort of ditched innovation at some point and then hired people that were seemed to be relatively new (laughs) to these positions is also relatively worrying. And it's not to say that people who are new to these positions are not capable of being good at the jobs and like you described some of the people have been around the nba for a while but a lot of them have not and and a lot of these guys came from the g league the d league at the time when they worked there and you know that's a nice way to climb a ladder but as we've seen with a lot of hires that the Suns have made in the past it's not always best to hire guys that have no experience that are slowly working their way up the ladder sometimes it's best to go with experience and sometimes it's best to value experience especially after the training stuff that we've had for, for such a long time. But Sam, what, what do you think about all of this? There's really no way for me to say, so I was just going to ask Dave another question. Um, I, I, well, and to agree with... <laughs> we really don't know. You're absolutely right, Sam. <laughs> yeah. To, really to agree know. with you, Mike, to an extent, I was worried about the whole Exos thing too, but I guess when they talk about an innovative partnership with technology, with this advanced technology, with Exos, when that came out, Dave, did you just interpret that as press release speak, which is what it is to me. Um, Or is there any reason to believe that going away from the traditional method that they've now gone back to, uh, that there would actually be any benefit there? Like, have they actually lost anything by having that partnership uh, fall through? Yeah, you got to wonder. But at the same time, now that the Suns are building that uh, training facility, that's supposed to have all the technology in it. So it's just a matter of the employees, really. So were the employees going to be... uh, uh, own, uh, employed by another company that's contracting with the Suns, or are the employees going to be employed by the Suns? It really, that kind of sounds to me because it could very well be that Exos hired these same guys, and we would go, "Ooh, new and innovative." So we just don't know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's all about it's a press release thing. We don't, we really don't know. I'm glad you mentioned the training facility because I think that's kind of the more exciting thing for us to talk here. There were some really cool quotes. Uh, the second half of your article that you were talking about, the first half was introducing those mm-hmm. those new uh, members of the organization. But the second half was about James Jones's appearance um, appearance on the outlet, which is Lindsay Smith's podcast, where he has some interesting quotes on the training facility. One of them, um, he really talks about it being a place where players will literally live. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit and what that means for the Suns as well? Yeah, absolutely. I've heard um, I've heard that the facility is is really really cool. There's a couple of different kitchens. There is there are sleeping pods, but there's also like sleeping areas where you can actually live. Um, yeah, James Jones really wants people to not have to leave at the end of the day because some of the frustration of being a rookie or a free agent or whatever who's just joined your team or a trade acquisition. Um, you got to go find food. I mean, you got to find a place to live. <clears throat> you got to find food. I remember a story way back in the day when Lando Robosa yes. first got uh, brought in by the Suns. He said he slept on the floor of the locker room. Yeah. So now he won't have to. He'll have an actual <laughs> bed if he was uh, 20 years younger. Maybe he'll move back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We don't know yet if Robert Sarver will charge them rent, but we do know that the facilities will be available. <laughs> And Trevor Ariza will finally have his personal chef as long as he drives to Scottsdale from the (laughs) arena. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what I was going to ask about next. And that's good to hear. Not only will they have a kitchen, but people who can actually cook food, I I imagine. I don't know know this for sure. Well, I'm assuming it's not like a kitchen in your apartment where you cook your own food. I'm hoping (laughs) they have the actual chefs making the right foods for the players. that's, That's a huge hope. And then I heard at the arena... They're because they they because they won't need all that training space. They'll need some of it, but not all of it, and the practice courts and all that. Um, they're going to change all that into um, uh, more club kind of facilities for the season ticket holders. Because right now, I don't know if you guys have been to games down down below in the bowels of the stadium, yeah. but the season ticket holders basically have a you know a, the inside of a barn to <laughs> to get ready uh you know warmed up and lubed up for the game it'd be nice to give them more comfortable place to be of course that just means they'll come out from halftime yes. even 10 minutes later than they always <laughs> already do yeah people don't know a lot of people will talk about how weird it is that the the building looks so empty especially at the beginning of the third quarter i think a lot of people don't know that the season ticket holders who tend to have 
the actual seats that are closer to the game. And anyone sitting close enough to have what are called club seats, I guess, at the Suns Arena, are able to go down beneath the arena. And they have food there. They have drinks there that they can uh, drink, obviously, like you said, get lubed up before the games. And that's that's the reason. They're down there getting free drinks. It's hard to go back up to a game when you're waiting on another your second or third free beer. And I think that's part of the issue. And I, and I do wonder if it will have that same effect that you're talking about people coming even later, especially to that third quarter, if they're uh, if they're even more comfortable than it is currently. And, uh, you know, there's another story that I wanted to talk about as well uh, that is different than this. It's more related to uh, some dramatic tweet by Kellen Olsen <laughs> that came out oh, yesterday. The troublemaker, Kellen Olsen. <laughs> he started the fire still. He did, and he knew what he was doing. He, he knew what he was doing, and I enjoyed oh, it yeah. uh, personally. But the, the tweet was um, DeAndre Ayton basically talking about how he's heard the rumors of him playing power forward for the Suns this season. We haven't, Sam and I haven't had a chance to talk about this since James Jones appeared on the outlet with a friend of the podcast, Lindsey Smith. Um, but basically there are rumors now that the Suns are willing. Yeah, good job getting her on. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why she did it either. Uh, but basically no, awesome. we found out that the, the Suns are willing to play uh, DeAndre Ayton at power forward going forward. Now, there wasn't. There, it was just a brief side comment sort of by James Jones in that interview, and then, of course, validated by some comments by DeAndre Ayton later. And I think it's all much ado about nothing personally uh, because he was asked about it directly, and all he was doing was essentially responding to those rumors. But Dave, what did you think when you saw that uh, video or, or read that tweet? <laughs> when I read the tweet, okay. So um, as, as one of the guys, just like Kellen, who was in the locker room with Deandre, in fact, I wasn't in quite as often as Kellen was. I made about 30 home games, 35 home games last year. And Kellen was there every single time. Um, so we're, we're very familiar with how Deandre Aiden takes questions and what he does is he has fun with, he tries to have fun with them. He doesn't, he doesn't stare you down. He does. He's not a Bill Belichick guy where he stares you down and refuses to answer. He like tries to go along with the questions and have fun with them. And a lot of times that's just him being honest, but it's also just him having a little bit of fun. And so when somebody asks him, Hey, did you hear your coach said mentioned or your GM mentioned you can play power forward? He's like, yeah, I heard the word, you know? So I took it. First of all, the initial quote, just the tweet from Kellen. I was like, oh, here we go. But I knew immediately that it wasn't mean him saying that I'm going to be starting a power forward and I don't want to play center. Like a lot of some people immediately went to the, oh, God, here, Anthony Davis all over again. No, I didn't take it like that at all. He doesn't care where he plays. He knows where he wants to be. He wants to be in the, on the blocks. He wants to be scoring at the rim. So he doesn't want to stand 15 feet out like a power forward. He just wants to be able to take threes. So he immediately went to, in the actual interview, to taking threes and having fun with that and bringing the ball up and being more versatile than just a lumbering center. And I'm not sure why we took that as such a negative thing. I mean, in an ideal world, uh, his ceiling is like Carl Anthony Towns, right? Mm-hmm. Like if he could be perfect, best DeAndre Aiden, isn't that like call it Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Well, Towns is kind of, yeah. So T- Towns is half power forward, half center, handles the ball, brings it up, Rebounds like crazy, uh, doesn't play great defense, scores from anywhere, takes threes. I would, I'd be okay with that with DeAndre Ayton. How about you guys? What do you guys think? Yeah, that that would be amazing. It's in a lot of ways a best case scenario for DeAndre Ayton. Honestly, um, look, I think generally we've seen a trend over the past several years of star players always like dribbling the ball and for the most part center is still the position in the nba where players are allowed the least amount of creativity you see the most guys who are just there to set screens box out do the dirty work we're increasingly seeing guys who reject that notion and kind of actively rebel against that and find ways to more actively involve themselves in the offense it doesn't literally have to be through playing power forward or small forward if you're seven feet tall Uh, But guys like Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns, they all are similar uh, in that they play a heavy part in their offense in terms of playmaking. And oftentimes that means standing a little further out away from the rim, more in the elbow area, maybe at the top of the key, trying to find passing lanes, trying to essentially play 
a little bit more like a guard because ultimately a lot of these guys who become NBA power forwards and centers were originally guards who then had these massive growth spurts when they were 16 or 17 years old and suddenly weren't able to play point guard anymore and were in these lumbering bodies where uh, they had to adjust to a new position, but they still have those playmaking guard skills. So, you know, when DeAndre talks about being able to play power forward, I think that's really all he means. He wants to shoot threes, like you were saying, Dave. I, I definitely think that's part of it. And I think he also believes that he can be uh, uh, more of an initiator than he was entrusted uh, under Igor's offense. So he can still play the center position. I think he just wants the ball uh, a little bit more. I think there was two things that stuck out, two thoughts that I had when I initially read this. And the first thing is just the, the prospect of him playing power forward. Um, I don't like that in any way, and I don't think there's any reason to actually entertain that idea unless it's against basically just the 76ers. It's actually difficult for me to even think of another team where that matchup would make sense, but the 76ers have Al Horford and they have Joel Embiid now, and it kind of makes sense to put two big guys in there that could actually play against those two guys and play defense. But to me, the NBA is closer to there being no center on the court at all than they are to a guy like DeAndre Ayton playing power forward. It's just, it's moving further and further and further away from massive, big, giant lineups like that, unless guys are as versatile as a guy like Nikola Jokic, where you can potentially do essentially everything on the court that a guard does, except you're seven feet tall, which very, very few people are that big. So just the prospect of that happening on a regular basis is not something that excites me in any any way, and it shouldn't excite anyone that's watching the NBA, especially if you think, well, Aaron Baines can shoot threes. Well, he's he's never had a, a yeah. season where he's made more than 50 threes, essentially. He's not really a three-point shooter, and if you really want a guy who can shoot threes, get a smaller, faster guy that can shoot threes and have him play fa- power forward next to DeAndre right. and That's a better situation. So, you know, that's the main thing. But the other part, I think, is that... This is such an off-season storyline to me. This is, uh, somebody mentioned it in brief passing, James Jones, essentially alluding to it being played in certain matchup scenarios, and then somebody asking DeAndre Ayton about it, and then it becoming a story before we've even seen any basketball on the floor at all. So it does feel like, what is DeAndre Ayton supposed to say when he's asked that kind of question? Is he supposed to put his foot down and say, no, I am an NBA center, and I will only play center even if my coach asks me to play power forward? Or is he going to do what he did, which is essentially saying, I'm, I've been doing that my whole life. I'm prepared to do that if I'm asked to. And, you know, so it just feels like such a nothing thing. But I almost feel uh, compelled to, to say that I don't want to see that because uh, just because of the way the storyline sort of worked throughout this whole, whole process. So it's been a, it was a weird storyline, I would say. And I'm, I'm sort of glad that I don't think that it's going to be much of a big storyline going forward uh, and unless we actually see that happening. But, I mean, I, I do say that knowing that the last time we did this podcast a, about a year ago, uh, I made mention that I can't imagine Jamal Crawford playing many minutes for the Suns. <laughs> and, and then he played a lot. Uh, so uh, I've been wrong before. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe DeAndre Ayton will end up starting as the power forward for the Phoenix Suns. But we should get to those superlatives. I actually listened to this part of the episode that we did last year. Dave, you listened to the entire episode from last year recently, right? Hello, I'm here on my own for a second, not for a fun reason, but for kind of a reason that's technical in nature, in that for some reason on this podcast, we lost about 10 minutes of audio right here. In that 10 minutes, we talked about how we went back and listened to last year's episode with the superlatives that Dave joined us on. We talked about how funny it was that we were all wrong, and we started to answer most likely to succeed. I'm sorry that that part is missing. I can tell you, both Sam and I chose Devin Booker. Dave said Devin Booker is the obvious answer, and he went with Ricky Rubio, and then he described the impact that Ricky Rubio would have on this team as a point guard who's going to be very, very good for this team and fill a massive hole that we had going forward. I'm going to cut back into this episode right at the end of that conversation when we talk about a funny option that we picked last year. Sorry that that audio is missing. This was the only option I can think of to try and make up for it. Hey, Mike, before we come on, I'd like to remind us uh, from last year's podcast, the honorable mention, most likely to succeed. And that uh, the theme there was this. We did this at the end of preseason last year. 
Um, and the, the mm-hmm. thought there that at least Sam and I, if not Mike as well, were really impressed with was DeAndre Ayton's defense in the preseason. We thought <laughs> the most likely to succeed was him breaking the, mo- the, the, the impression that he has a bad defender. <laughs> I mean, just, he looks good in preseason. <laughs> he, he had that game against Giannis and he had that game against LeBron, and that's all we need. Yeah, we'll just watch those hey, highlights. As long as, the, as long as the play's in front of him, and, and you know he's really good as long as the play's in front of him. The problem <laughs> right. is the play being behind him, which makes me worried about him being a power forward because there's a lot more behind you at power forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see it that often. but um, We have to talk about this one. Not fun for me to research, but uh, I'll go first uh, on this. Most likely to fail. And I'm not saying I, it's most likely to fail. Look, we got to choose someone. And I chose Elio Kobo because... In my opinion, Elia Kobo is the last guard on this lineup, on this roster, including behind Ty Jerome, personally, because I'm, I'm just a big fan of Ty Jerome. And uh, Elia Kobo struggled to make France's team and was kicked off the team in favor of Frank Nilakina over the summer. Did not even get a chance to compete for his country. And I think it was difficult for him to crack the rotation last year with Jamal Crawford, who was statistically one of the worst players in the league last year. It's difficult to imagine a scenario where Elia Kobo can succeed or even get minutes in this coming season without major injuries sort of across the board with the guards that we have. It wouldn't even surprise me at some point if Jalen LeCue leapt over him in any sort of rotation if injuries did happen just because I just don't imagine the Suns investing into his future the way they might with a guy like Jalen LeCue personally. But Sam, you had something to say? Well, I will have you know that Frank Nilakina outplayed Donovan Mitchell in one of those games when France played USA. <laughs> do we do we have any confidence that Ellie, had he made the team, could have done the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> so maybe. What you're saying is what you're saying is the hierarchy of <clears throat> of guards in the NBA starts with Frank Nilakina, then goes to Donovan Mitchell, and then goes to Ellie Okobo? And then Devin Booker. And then Devin Booker. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on who you ask. (laughs) But Dave, who did you, who did you choose for this not fun category? Um, Yeah, I'm going to change it up a little bit. So it, the way you could look at this. So last year, I mean, I, I did make a joke that there's a lot of players on that last year's roster that were most likely to fail. Uh, <laughs> and that did turn out to be kind of true. Um, this year, I don't see too many guys failing, and you know why? Because the Suns have a lot of young veterans this year. Like, <clears throat> uh, let me just ask you guys: wh- which team do you think was younger across the board? And the last was the youngest Suns team across the board, average roster age in the last four years. Is this mm. using minutes played? So it's like a weighted average, or just by the nope. just it's by the age of the guys on the roster divided by seventeen, eighteen? I would guess. Uh, well, seventeen, eighteen had what Chandler and Dudley, and last year I guess so had a reason. They also had Anderson. Like four teenagers. Yeah, yeah. yeah it also yeah. had four teenagers. Was it sixteen? Who was on the team in sixteen seventeen? Also Chandler and Dudley. Yeah, then I guess like Chandler. seventeen eighteen. That was that was when Derek Jones was there too. So yeah, that was that was the four teenagers. Actually, there was only three teenagers the next year. <laughs> Which one was it? it? It's this year, actually. Wow! This wow. coming year, if you take the roster divided by the number of players, the average age divided the the ages divided by the number of players, this roster is actually the youngest in the NBA this coming year. And it's the youngest that the, that the Suns have fielded because the Suns don't only have Aaron Baines, who's over 30. And they don't have like these three or four guys who are upping. I mean, last year had Jamal Crawford and the year before right. Tyson Chandler right. and Jared Dudley. You know, I mean, there's always these guys that are tipping the scales high. But the problem with those prior rosters is that the guys were either super young or super old. Now, these guys are three, four, five-year veterans who are in the 24 to 26-year-old range. And so going back to the, the who's the most likely to fail, there's actually not many guys on this roster likely to fail because they've already proven themselves as an NBA player. I mean, I wouldn't call Frank Kaminsky likely to fail because he's already kind of failed. You know what I mean? So <laughs> um, he's, he's least likely to succeed. I would say that, but he, he, we're going to get what we, what we expect from these guys. So 
when I look at it, I'm going to go most likely to fail is most likely to disappoint the fan base mm, in a spectacular okay. way. Like they're all going to like, geez, this guy, what happened to him? And I'm really sorry to say this because I God, I hope it doesn't happen. But I really think the most likely to fail in that context is Kelly Oubre. Mm. Oh, wow. and the reason I, I, say I that, totally see yeah. it, but it's interesting. From the context of fans being disappointed in what they expected right now, I think fans right. for the most part are expecting a 20 point five rebound, two steals and a block guy every night consistently playing good defense every single night. But by December, he might have lost his starting job to Mikel Bridges. And so he's not going to be um, getting all the minutes, I don't think, because I'm really high on Mikel Bridges. And I think any coach, um, like Amani Williams especially, but any coach who has Mikel Bridges on their team can't not play the dude 30, 35 minutes. He's like the new P.J. Tucker in terms of you can't bench the dude. You can't bench right. him. And so someone's going to have to lose minutes, and I, I worry that it'll be Kelly Oubre. Right. That's interesting. And I wonder if that happens, if he becomes somewhat of a trade piece around the trade deadline, if that does happen. That's, it's a very interesting choice. Um, Sam, what do you have in this category? Uh, I don't mean to pile on this guy because I think he's gotten a lot of uh, unnecessary criticism already, mostly early in the summer, but I chose Cam Johnson. And I don't even necessarily think mm. that's because there are any lofty expectations on Cam Johnson going into this season. People seem to be pretty low on him as it is. But it's mostly just the reality of a rotation that already has at your natural position, Kelly Oubre and Mikhail Bridges, the two guys we were just talking about. It's really hard to see how Cam gets minutes in the first place. And so I think there's going to be the growing pains of, you know, transitioning to the NBA, supposedly being this NBA ready rookie, except you're not getting many minutes at your natural position. Maybe you're playing a little bit out of position at even shooting guard or power forward. Uh, but beyond that, there's the problem of, uh, and Mike, we've talked about this before, the biggest problem for the Suns bench right now, uh, especially if you start Kelly Oubre and keep Mikhail Bridges on the bench, is a lack of self-creation. I think you get some creativity, some playmaking ability out of Tyler Johnson. Uh, but like, really, I think one of the reasons I'd be a big advocate of potentially benching Kelly is because I think Kelly would be such a good six man to lead a second unit, whereas Mikhail is more of a glue guy who fits in much better uh, with starting players. Where that leaves Cam Johnson is he's a guy who can't create for himself at all. And it's really hard to see Monty going with lineups where if you want to maximize Cam's effectiveness, you need to play him with guys like Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio, except you're not going to want to do that because you most likely get the best net ratings, the most success out of lineups where you play Kelly or uh, McHale over him instead. So you're left playing Cam Johnson in these bench lineups where he's playing next to guys like Tyler Johnson and Frank Kaminsky and Aaron Baines. And for a guy who's basically just going to be a spot-up shooter, I, I'm just not quite sure how that's going to play out in his rookie year. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair take to, to give on Cam Johnson because he's in a difficult position. And I hope he succeeds, especially because... I just enjoy when people are wrong about the draft, so <laughs> I hope he succeeds. Um, but let's move on to the next one, which is most likely to improve, which I think is an interesting one, a little bit more positive. And Sam, I'll let you start this one since you haven't started any yet. Who do you think is the most likely to improve on the Phoenix Suns? It's going to be DeAndre Aiden, right? Ah, is is I like anyone it. else going to... Were you going to give a different answer? Because I think this is a pretty obvious answer right here. I do have a different answer, but I'll let you, I'll let okay. you give your take first. I mean, he worked on his cardio and he wants to shoot threes. That's the only answer I have to give. <laughs> <laughs> he like In order to be effective, DeAndre needs to just play more. And it's, and it's not just about the raw total of the minutes you're getting, but it's about being effective in your minutes and, and really giving full energy uh, and, and pushing in transition and obviously... <laughs> Uh, playing good defense and staying in front of your man uh, in the first place. So, like, if you look at these other guys who became superstar centers, Joel Embiid uh, in his sophomore season played five more minutes per game. Jokic played five more minutes per game. Towns played five more minutes per game. DeAndre already played just a hair under 31 minutes per game last year in his rookie season, so I don't expect him to jump all the way up to 36. I think that would be asking way too much. Uh, but I want him to be able to play like 32 and a half to 33 strong, solid minutes 
Uh, and I think he's going to be capable of it this year. And I think he's going to stretch out his range and maybe attempt one or even two threes per game. I really wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but if he's serious about his cardio, he's got a point guard. He's got Devin Booker in addition to a good point guard. Uh, and so he should be in a good position to succeed under Monty. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I think the DeAndre Aiden most likely to improve is totally in the eye of the beholder. Because <clears throat> there are people out there, <clears throat> excuse me, there are people out there who won't care if he gets 20 and 12, ups his blocks to one and a half. Right. If, you know, a game, if he, if he doesn't growl half the game. You know, if he doesn't <laughs> flex his muscles and and defend, <laughs> like slam the dunks in, instead of just lay in the dunk, there are going to be people who will never be happy with him. So I don't think he would be most likely to improve because there are a lot of people out there. It doesn't matter what he does unless he gets a personality transplant. And he's not going to. The dude's always going to. My favorite moment from last season with DeAndre Eden for some dumb reason, because I'm a goofy guy. But my favorite moment is when Devin Booker slammed the ball on Anthony Davis, and I got a screenshot of DeAndre Ayton's mouth on the floor, his jaw <laughs> on the floor as he caught the rebound going through, or the, the ball coming through the net. In one motion, he's like, oh, my God. You know, he's like, because he enjoys the moment. And he's, so he's not going to be Aaron Baines. And people are going to want him to become Aaron Baines with Carl Anthony Towns, all mixed into one in check. You know, all mixed into one. He's never going to be that. So I think it's going to be really hard for him to be uh, most likely to improve on, in some eyes. I think he'll improve a great deal and still be disappointing to a lot of people. Um, so my pick for most likely to improve this year is I'm going to go back to uh, Mikel Bridges because I, uh, for the same ah. reason, I think Kelly Oubre can be seen as a guy who might be disappointing it's because Mikel Bridges I think is just going to be really really good I mean the guy went through a whole month averaging almost four assists a game because he knows how to make smart pocket passes uh, from the high post as he's you know as he's cutting or when he's cutting he knows how to make his passes he's not going to be a pick and roll initiator uh, but he'll be a guy who can swing that you know make the assist pass off another hockey assist from somebody else um, and I think he's he's going to also get much, much better on his jump shots. He'll straighten out that three. He'll start making 38, 40% of his threes. Um, I really think he's a guy that people, he might actually be in the running for most improved player. Wow. Dave, we're on the same page. We're on the same page because I had the same answer and it's essentially for all the same reasons. I think that Mikhail Bridges not only is a basketball genius, basically, who improved every year in college and will continue to improve throughout his time in the NBA. I also noticed that he's one of the few players that actually stayed in Phoenix to continue working on his game with the training staff, with whoever he could here in Phoenix throughout the summer. And I think that level of dedication is the type of uh, dedication that it takes to improve in the NBA. So I actually chose Mikhail Bridges as well, just because he's just one of those guys that you can just see improving year over year over year. And I think if, like if you're betting on this, if you had to make a bet, he'd be the safest bet in my eyes to get better, especially because someone like Devin Booker uh, just exceeded expectations to me uh, last year in his offense. And it's difficult to see him improving on that going forward. And DeAndre, and although I do think he will improve, I just think a guy like Mikhail Bridges is just a bit of a, a safer bet. So we're on the same page with that one, Dave. Yeah. And last year, <laughs> guess who I picked last year? Oh no. Dragon Bender. Bender? No, no Jackson. I'm kidding. Josh Jackson. Yeah. Oh, I think no. Josh Jackson most likely to improve. I actually called him a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> because he seemed aware of, of the, his need to improve and he seemed to have the desire. And, and oh, man, I actually talked myself into thinking he would be the most improved. And you know what? Um, Samuel agreed with me. Oh, well, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't listen to last year's episode before this, so I was the least prepared. But I was going to say, Josh seems like a very self-reflective guy. I mean, he did that whole rookie year diary series with whichever writer yeah. that was. I forget who it was. Maybe Mark Spears. 
uh, or Mark Spears. Yeah, but so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there seemed to be reason he put you know that thirty six point game on the Warriors his rookie season, and I was over the moon ready for uh, his maturity in year two, and then it never materialized. So let's hope for better results this time. We use Harry's razors, and so should you. If you visit their website now, you can check out all the different shave sets and face care products. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's and claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire. Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of this show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know we sent you to help support this show. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play and where you should too. We wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with mybookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now, and mybookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Who is the best new addition for the Phoenix Suns? This one was easy for me. Uh, is Well, there's two answers for me. There was two massive holes on the Suns roster, and that was point guard and power forward. So to me, the best new additions are the two guys that filled those roles so i picked i know i'm cheating here but i picked ricky rubio and dario saric i think those are the guys that we they're basically water in a desert manna if you will from heaven as uh rob palinka put it (laughs) on the lakers something that we absolutely needed and i think that for suns fans they're going to make the biggest impact just seeing them filling that hole with dario saric being sort of what we wanted dragon bender to be in the NBA, a guy who's capable of shooting, passing, driving, and just a versatile European big man, if you will. And then Ricky Rubio, of course, just filling that massive hole in the point guard role. So it's it's to me, it's difficult to choose anyone besides potentially Ricky Rubio in this specific category. But uh, Dave, what did you have for this category? You know, obviously, those are the two those are the two best options: Ricky Rubio and Dario Saric. I was going to be a, a contrarian and say Czech Diallo, but um, <laughs> I really think we <laughs> we need to go with Rubio and Saric uh, for sure. I, I would say uh, Dario Saric has the best chance to be the leader in a couple of categories going the opposite direction that are coming up here. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the most. He is potentially the biggest impact player in the, and because, I mean, besides Ricky Rubio, of course. Uh, but if you're going to name a number two, I'd say Sharich has a chance to go back to his second year form. God, the dude's only 25 years old. So it's not like uh, he, he, um, he can't repeat or get better than his second year in the NBA in his fourth year. And he was 15 and seven. And he was a dude that everyone thought was a glue guy, made all the right plays helped the Sixers win the 50-some games, get into the playoffs because he was the glue guy around Embiid and those guys. And so he got a lot of credit. And then he started off real poorly, and he admitted himself. There was an interview last year when he played for, um, I think it's Croatia, um, in in some kind of, oh, yeah, world championship qualifiers that they didn't win. Um, but he played for them all summer, and he came in tired. And he said, I come into NBA seasons tired all the time. 
And it's it's true. He comes in and he makes 30% of his shots for the first month. Um, this year, he didn't play international. So he should be in shape, ready to go um, with all his energy. And he should be able to make 38, 40% of his threes from day one. So he should be definitely a very impactful player. Yeah, I agree. He should he should be an impactful player. I still think Rubio's uh, the guy to go to here just because of the sheer amount of time that he's going to have the ball in his hands, the amount of pressure that takes off Devin Booker. Uh, but Dario is going to be a really interesting option. I'm, I don't know, I guess kind of just waiting to see exactly how he fits into the Suns offense, how you can kind of leverage some of his uh, skills. Like I think he's an underrated playmaker. I think he's even a little bit of an underrated finisher at times and how Monty can use him uh, and not just turn him into like a glorified stretch big, like the Suns have had a lot of over the years. Like I don't want Dario to just exclusively pick and pop and be, be a glorified Mirza Toledovic. Uh, you know, I think he could be a lot more for this team and I am curious to see uh, what sort of option he's going to be on the offense like if he just kind of slots into that number four number five option in the starting lineup that's kind of a throwaway for a few spot up opportunities uh or if they do find some unique ways to get him involved i think he's definitely a lot better than mirza Toledovic. i know you use that as a baseline as a minimum but um mirza was really just a shooter and and just happened to be six eight yeah i just mean in terms of the way he's used like i think he's clearly more talented than that it's just are you going to use him like that because if you're going to use him like that you're wasting his abilities that's that's all i mean i think we're if we're lucky cam johnson becomes mirza toledovich yeah <laughs> you know i mean that's yeah. low ceiling i get it i get it for a first round pick number 11 but we'd be happy i'd be happy if a guy made it 10 years and the only reason Mears is out of the league is because of his blood clot issues, um, the dude would still be playing. <clears throat> I think that's good. Now, I really see um, uh, Sharic as more of a, a Miritich type where he can have good years and he can have okay years. and But when he's on, man, he's he's a really impactful and he's perfect next to Aiden. Yeah, yeah, I think those, those two guys are the obvious answers for this one. So uh, let's move on to the next one. I think this one is going to be an interesting one for all three of us here. And this is the biggest storyline that will be sort of pervasive throughout the season. So the storyline that persists throughout this sun season, uh, Dave, what do you think that is? Well, I, <laughs> I think we have to go with DeAndre Ayton's defense. Ah. I mean, the biggest storyline is going to be how impactful he is. Now I think a better defense makes DeAndre Ayton look like a pretty good defender. I really do. Better defense around him where he's not totally on an island because the the guards let let every everyone else blow by them and he's the only line of defense. And he has to decide, am I going to be on a poster or am I going to stand three feet away and let my fans yell at the fact that I didn't put myself in a poster? I mean, <laughs> he may have watched Brandon Knight highlights and decided he didn't want to be the next Brandon Knight. Who knows? <laughs> um, but he, he definitely, when he's, when he's five feet, you know, he's away on the other side of the paint that he does not want to get up and contest because he, he doesn't want to be the guy. I don't think on a poster, um, he's going to have to get better at that, but I think just a better defense around him, a better, better effort, better execution, better NBA play around him. His defense will at times look pretty good and the rest of the time be kind of unnoticeable. I mean, um, I'll compare him again to, Towns. Towns is not a good defender, but he gets away with it even on a bad defense because he's he's not that bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think I think Aiden. Um, so that's the biggest storyline for me. Does Aiden look uh, passable and better than he did last year on defense? That's going to be huge. Um, that's going to be a really really big storyline. But I think it's going to be the biggest storyline just a little bit more than that is going to be Booker's worthiness of being a legitimate number one option. Like I'm trying to think of what's going to dominate the national conversation about the Suns. earlier. You heard me say in this episode that I'm very confident that Devin Booker can be that guy. But what we, you and I, Mike, first of all, but frankly, if you listen to any Suns podcast, what every single Suns podcast has done, what the Suns media as a collective whole has done this summer is in order to successfully fend off attacks on Booker from national writers, we have eliminated all of his excuses. 
for the upcoming season. We wanted a point guard. We've been complaining about lack of creation for the past couple of years. Check, because we got Ricky Rubio. We wanted to give him a power forward, extra shooting, a a competent player at that position, uh, so we don't have to continue starting these bums at that position for 48 minutes a night. Check, we got Dario Saric. We added shooters, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome through the draft, Frank Kaminsky, Aaron Baines, uh, and so on. And so now we've created a roster where, unless there are major injuries to this team's core eight players or so, we should frankly expect that this starting lineup is good enough that Devin Booker should be able to carry us to 30-plus wins uh, if he's the real deal. And if he can't, that's going to be the prevailing thing that the national media is going to focus on. Uh, and and we're probably, as a fan base, if he can't do that, going to have to admit that that's on Booker and that this season is really going to be the test of that. And if he can't get us to that benchmark uh, without, again, there being something like injuries, uh, we might have to prepare for the idea that he's more of a second option on a playoff team going forward and that you still have to look for that number one guy because, uh, again, the excuses are gone. I think that Devin Booker... If, if this summer has proven anything, it's that Devin Booker is a lightning rod <laughs> for other for fans of other teams. It's just the, the storyline on Devin Booker, the book that's been written sort of on book, is is he a winner? That's the question that people have. And I think that, it, just to Sam's point, that's going to be the pr- most persistent storyline now because the excuses are now gone. Is he a winner? Can he compete? And I think that's actually, it, for the first time in his career, I think that might be a fair question to ask going forward. And, and you know, we obviously we're confident in him uh, on this podcast and as Suns fans. And I think that uh, more than anything else, that's what's going to make this season fascinating to watch is to see what he can do with the real team around him. Even if they're not, you know, obviously they're not, they didn't build a contender here, but they did build a team of actual NBA players who are in their primes. And it'll be nice to see him surrounded by guys like that. We talked about the minutes of the guys who played last year. It's not pretty. And I don't, I don't think that we're looking at a situation like that this year. All right. So let's move on to the next one. This one should be relatively easy compared to last year where there was a bunch of rookies, which is the most interesting rookie going into the season. I I have a feeling we all have the same answer. Uh, Dave, what do you have? I'm actually going to go Ty Jerome. I, I think, uh, guy, I really am looking forward to seeing how, if he translates to the NBA because he's got a great. I mean, there's a lot of the, the, he gets a lot of flack for not having superior athleticism, but there's been some guards, especially the guard position, where you can get away with being the, not the most athletic. Fred Fred Van Van Vliet is an example there in the past. Steve Blake, you know, I'm of course I can name a guy one guy a year. I know that, but. Ty Jerome is basically um, a dude who can really succeed. Hopefully, he's not a triple A, you know, or four, four quad A player. You kind of like in baseball, <laughs> where uh, too good for college but not good enough for the NBA. I'm really looking forward to seeing Ty, how Ty Jerome translates. I think if Tyler Johnson can be successful in the NBA, I really think a Ty Jerome can have that same kind of role. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Ty's my guy. I already talked about Cam maybe struggling a little bit and Jalen's just not going to get minutes. So um, Ty is my pick as well. Same with me. I think that the backup point guard position is essentially up for grabs on this team and Cam is just going to struggle finding playing time. And I think Ty Jerome is just one of those guys that you can't really find a bad word said about him on the internet. Coaches love him. Everyone who's been around him uh, loves him. And we had his dad on the podcast. His dad obviously loves him. That's a requirement. Uh, But (laughs) I think that Ty can actually be successful on this team going forward. And I just think he's going to have more of a chance, but we'll see. Shooters, shooters seem to find a way on the court. I just think a guy like Ty Jerome, if you can pass and you can shoot, there's a place for you on a team in the NBA. I think regardless of your deficiencies elsewhere, if it's on the bench, it's on the bench, but still there's a place for you. So it wouldn't surprise me if he succeeded. In fact, I'm going to tie this to the next one. The most likely to get positive media attention. Um, this is sort of a national on a national scale. And I had Ty Jerome here because coaches love him. You can already see he's been included in some of those articles of who are the steals late in the draft that could be successful. And Ty Jerome has been on some of those. And the other guy I included in this one was Mikhail Bridges because Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times people cannot watch the games. So they only really look at advanced stats. And if you're going to do, if you can't watch all the games, Mm -hmm. but you still have to write about the team, you're going to look at the advanced stats. And if you look at the advanced stats, well, then Mikhail Bridges is going to stand out. And I think that makes it more likely 
that uh, positive media attention will be uh, thrown his way because he just stands out in that category. Uh, Dave, what did you have for most likely to get positive media attention? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be a I'm 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 gonna be a glass half full guy, and I'm gonna say the most likely to get positive media attention is gonna be Devin Booker Ooh. because all the people who have been crapping all over his ability to win games are gonna have to eat a little bit of crow. They're gonna they're gonna pretend he suddenly changed. They're gonna pretend he got better. And we're going to have fun with it, just crapping all over those guys online uh, because they suddenly uh, go, oh, well, now he's a winner. I think as long as they win, you know, they go 500 or close, um, you know, 40%, 50% of their games, 45% of their games winning rate. He might even make the all-star game this year. I think we um, I think we all pretty much agree that he is an all-star talent. He just needs to get the recognition um, to get enough votes to get in. And I think just winning 40 plus percent of his games the year after they won 19, I think they're going to say now Devin Booker's turned a corner when really it's only been, he got more players around him. And uh, I think, uh, and not awesome players, just players, just NBA level players. And, and he's going to prove that he can make a difference in winning games. So I do think he's going to get the positive attention. Um, uh, I agree with what Dave said, first of all, but I am going to bring it back to Mikhail Bridges as my answer. Uh, he's like you said, Mike advanced stats. Nerds love him. Coaches love him. The fans love him because of all the work he put in this summer. I've made this comparison a few times already, but I really think Mikhail Bridges is going to be this generation's Shane Battier. Like, I think he's just going to stick around for a long, long, long time. He's going to play on some fantastic teams, whether it ends up being in Phoenix, hopefully it is, uh, or elsewhere because he's just going to be one of those guys who plays winning basketball, who coaches love, who is a veteran uh, once he's been in the league for several seasons and is just beloved by basically everyone. And uh, national writers are going to be in tune with that. Yeah, I think it's just it's just what it is. I think it's impossible to watch every team in great detail. And that means that you rely heavily on advanced stats. And, and like I said, he's going to stand out in that category. This, other, this next one's kind of interesting. Somebody seems to be unhappy on the Suns every year. So we, we wanted to include a category uh, where we try to predict who is the player on the Suns that maybe is a little unhappy with their role. I struggled with this one, but I did settle on someone. Sam, let's start with you again on this one. Who do you think is the most likely to be unhappy with their role? So this one's a little more pessimistic, so I apologize in advance for my answer because um, I just talked him up a little bit earlier, but I'm going to go with Dario Saric. Uh, and that really stems mm -hmm. to he had this quote, uh, and I don't know what it is about European players about giving interviews in their native language and thinking it's not going to be translated into English. We saw it with <laughs> Martian Gortat. We saw it with Koran Dragic today. in the past as well. But he had this quote <laughs> where translated, it's uh, I'm actually happy about it all talking about the trade to Phoenix and glad because I think I didn't get a fair chance in Minnesota. In Phoenix, I very much expect it. All in all, I'm satisfied. And, you know, Minnesota wasn't a bad team last year. We're talking about a 36-win team, which is basically the upper echelon kind of goal that we're predicting for the Suns this year of hoping for a 36-win team. So if it's possible that Dario Saric is going to be uh, dissatisfied with a 25-minute-per-game role he had last season on a 36-win team, there's enough possibility for other players on the Suns rotation to steal minutes away from him that I could see him becoming unhappy here as well with his role and how he's used uh, on offense. Yeah, I think that's really um, a, a good call because I, when I alluded to it earlier, Dara Sharj might lead a couple of categories. This is the one. The other one that I expected, he could be the most impactful, but he could also be the most uh, frustrated because what if what if the Suns really do like Ubre and Bridges and Booker and Rubio on the floor together? I mean, then Sarge is going to be playing less minutes because they're going to be playing Aiden in the middle. They're not going to be – or Baines – they're not going to play in charge in the middle. So there is a chance that charge will be disappointed in how the season goes. I do think the dynamics are a little bit different than Minnesota. He loved it in Philadelphia. That's where he made his mark. They said, they all said he was an incredible teammate, great player, always in a great mood, felt really part of it. And I think, and, and Monty Williams was there for part of his third season. Um, and then all of a sudden he had a bad start to the year. The whole front office panicked. When they went after Jimmy Butler was was melting down in Minnesota, and all of a sudden Charge, after thinking he was home in Philadelphia, ended up in Minnesota, just stuck there. And so I don't think anything Minnesota could have done would have made him feel good 
but they certainly didn't help matters by bringing him off the bench for the first month after he was acquired. Um, so he got sent to a lesser place and got a lesser role out of it, all from being a starter in a second-round playoff team. So I think uh, that dynamic is gone. He's already survived that. And now he's with the Suns where he's back with a coach that he at least respected. He did like Monty Williams. He did talk about Monty Williams, I think, in another interview that he likes him and um, and is looking forward to playing together. And then Monty said the same thing about Charge as well. That doesn't mean Charge will stay happy all season. It'll be about his minutes. It'll be about his role. Um, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to hope that he doesn't melt down, but he is the most likely, I think, to do it. Yeah, I think that's a good pick by both of you there. I think he's just a temperamental guy. He's just a guy that can be a little frustrated if it's not going his way. Um, but I think that he does have a role here. So, uh, you know, maybe none of these guys will be unhappy. The guy I chose, I just went with the old tried and true guy in his 30s that probably wants to play on a contender. So I picked Aaron Baines. <laughs> and I just feel like at some point, Aaron Baines could say, hey, you know, we've only won 15 games so far. It's getting close to the trade <laughs> deadline or the end of the season. Maybe you just buy me out. Let me join. Uh, let me join the Warriors or something. <laughs> and yep. uh, you know, that's just. I think that's the most likely one. And I don't want that to happen. Obviously, I'll have to pour one out for the memes that we'll lose with the Aaron Baines account, uh, Aaron Baines fan club <laughs> account, if that did happen. Uh, so I hope it doesn't. But I just think that's been what's happened on the Suns for the last few seasons. It is so, too uh, bad Frank Kaminsky isn't a better player because then we could be yelling Frank and Baines when they come out together. <laughs> All right, last one, and then we can let you go, Dave. Uh, this one was very difficult for me, so I'm going to make you go first, Dave. Uh, most likely to win an award, any award on the Phoenix Suns. Which player is the most likely to win any award for the Phoenix Suns this next season? So uh, my off-the-wall pick a little bit is uh, Jalen LeCue in the dunk contest. Oh, um, I love I that. <laughs> that dude floats through the air. It's just so – people just – everyone just goes, oh, my God, when he just – floats um so as much as Derek jones jr was airplane mode a few years ago and just showed up out of the g league just in time for the nba dunk contest i think jalen lecue will do the same thing um so he is the most likely to win an award the second most likely would be devin booker winning either the three-point challenge or the skills challenge on all-star weekend um and then possibly um devin booker will make an all nba this year those are the only ones i could really come up with um, it's quite, it's, it's possible that, um, you know, I don't know. I, I can't think, I can't think of any other award winner. So you guys enlighten me, help me out. Well, Mikhail Bridges, Mikhail Bridges has a 100% chance of winning the Dan Marley hustle award. So if that counts as an award, <laughs> then I think, go. I think, maybe, you, go. you know, maybe that's a good pick. I was going to say like Tyler Johnson could win sixth man, right? If the Suns are a good team and. And he's obviously going to be coming off the bench. And doesn't he just fit the prototype of like, you know, high usage kind of scoring guard? Like, you know, he's not going to average 20 points per game or yeah. anything like Lou Williams yeah, or Jamal Williams Crawford. Just, you know, he's in the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously it's not a perfect comparison, but <laughs> if there's anyone that I had to choose that wasn't just a cheat answer, I could like Tyler Johnson a couple years ago on the heat. He did average like 14 points per game off the bench. If you average 14 sure. and five off the bench and your team is decent, you have at least uh, an outside shot at that award. So I guess I'd go with him uh, or you could just be optimistic and say Devin Booker for MVP. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Do you think Tyler Johnson has two girlfriends? <laughs> the way, Lou, the way Lou no. Williams did. <laughs> okay. So I struggled I struggled with this one as well because it's hard to think of um any. So the the first thought I had for six man wasn't it was Kelly Oubre. Like if Kelly Oubre ends up on the bench and then plays very well off the bench as like the go-to scorer on the bench, I I could see a chance if the Suns were very good. This is all predicated on the Suns being very good uh for him to actually do that. I also said Mikhail Bridges potentially on an all-defense team. I don't know if that counts, but I could see that happening as well. This is a guy who can cover multiple different positions and um, I'm anticipating him him improving dramatically and if he gets his three-point shot up too I just think more attention goes his way which just raises his profile overall and if his defensive metrics and advanced stats are as good as they were last season or better than they were last season and the team is actually relatively uh, good in comparison then I think there's a chance that he could be awarded that I don't know if that counts as an award but <laughs> it was one of the only ones that I could think of in this category 
So this isn't just us, but, but how many years in a row have we prayed for a guy who wants to be a starter to totally embrace the six-man role and be the best dude ever and totally happy and loving the fact that he's not in a starting lineup? I think this might be eight years in a row we've all done this. Yeah. You know who would have been perfect <laughs> at that? Bogdan Bogdanovich. <laughs> yes, he would have. You How know, last year he have been? We predicted, we predicted last year TJ Warren would love being a six-man. <laughs> yeah. I don't why think do people did. listen to us? <laughs> why, why do people listen to any of us? Luckily, Dave was wrong and too. When I so. say us, I mean all of us, not just yeah, <laughs> all the pods. I mean, all of us come up with stuff that we're like, I really hope we don't play that again. <laughs> Look, we got to do this every week. We got to do it every week, guys. <laughs> you got to come up with something. And you don't want to be all doom and gloom. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to, of course, you follow Dave on Twitter, read him on Bright Side of the Sun, listen to the Solar Panel podcast. Dave, do you have anything else that you'd like to plug? No, I just want to say I think you guys do an excellent job on this podcast as well. And obviously the people listening believe me. Uh, so you guys keep doing what you do. I think you guys are great. Dave, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, man. Ah, uh, my high school yearbook. You handsome devil. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. <laughs> Activities? None. Sports? None. Honors? None. So many memories. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.